Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly, Wednesday night shiur. This Shabbos, this Shabbos, Matas Masai, it's two different parshas, but they're together, Mendel. Two different parts, but yet together. They finish the complete Chumash Bamidbar. Shabbos Chazak, therefore. Matas Masai. Matas Masai is not an entity of itself. We look at it sometimes, we say a Pasha. So the Pasha is Pinchas, Pasha is Bolok, Chukas. But we say Matas Masai, when they're together, they're united, it's not considered one Pasha. Although we're laying both of them to this Shabbos, but they are two separate entities. So Mietzim will discuss Matas and Masa, the two separate entities. Mietzim would like to discuss Friday, Mietzim Rishchidosh, Menachem Ov, the beginning of what's known as the Nine Days. I'd like to not discuss the Sephardic custom because it gets extremely confusing when they consider Shvua Shechalboi only the week that Tishbub comes out in and since Tishbub, even though Tishbub is on Shabbos but since the fast is on Sunday so they, there are those that want to say that it's not considered Shvua Shechalboi I have yet to understand how that works and therefore I refuse to discuss it Yishchidosh Menachem Ov itself, the yard side of Ar and Akayin, as we read today in today's Chumash, the Chitas of today. And we'd like to discuss, of course, about Hilgos Beis HaBachira, Halachis, relevant to the building of the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi. As we spoke last week, that the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi is already and it's not shot that Mashiach comes, there will be a time frame, like they're according to some days about Chiyas HaMason, about the revival of the dead, that that might take time, that might not be right away, or that might not be everybody right away. But, the building of the base, something that we discussed last week, would be immediately. And we see that, we learned that, as we said last week, from the Kahanim, that the Kahanim cannot drink wine, because if a Kayan drinks wine, and he'll be inebriated, he would not be able to do the Aved and the Besamikdash, and he does not even have the 22 or 44 minutes, whatever it takes, for one to become sober, he does not even have that amount of time 
once the Beis Hamidrash appears, they will immediately be thrown into the workload. Traditionally, and we've spoken this, we said it before, but it's only correct and only proper to say it since sure there are other things and other connections as well. is brought down. Teda is never ending. It's, con- it's continu- constantly continuous. So therefore we need to see what is the last Pasuk of Bamidbar have to do with the first Pasuk of Bamidbar. The last Pasuk of Bamidbar for those wealthy people that are going to be buying Parsh Chazak that is laid is Eila Mitzvah Samishpatim Ashatziva Hashem Biyad Meishel Bnei Yisrael Barvitz Meiv Ayad Nirecha I'd like to take a break for a moment I forgot to make a dedication um, to dedicate this week's year to a very very dedicated parent to his children and to helping the Yeshiva Nachman Yaakov and Svi Hirsch Allah Shalom, a parent of 54 years old, passed away only a few days ago. Left over four little children. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He literally, he was an actuary, he worked as an actuary, but he had a CDL bus license and he taught several Yungalite, he's taught them how to drive a bus so they too can make a livelihood, they can make a living. And those people actually did, they did just that. They were my founders, their family, they supported their families from driving buses. Um, extremely kind, very, very good, well humored. Always had a smart, whippy thing to say. Maybe may be a good to better for his whole mishpacha. He look after his wife and his four children from above high, so that they should be zeicher to see the tchias hamesim, the kids of Rana Sheikh Neofar, and he will be amongst them once again. The parsha again, as we said, finishes off Eila Mitzvahs Hamishpatim Shetiva Hashem Biad Meishel Bnei Yisrael. These are the commandments, ordinances that God commanded through Mesha to the children of Israel in the plains of Meav and at the, at the Yardin by Yerichai. So we need to see how does this Pasuk fit in to the beginning of the Chumash Bamidbar. Before the Torah was given, Hashem requested a guarantor. And we've spoken about, by Mount Taylor time, Shavuos, we spoke when we spoke about 
Pashtisrei, Veschanon. The guarantor, after the whole involved medrash says, conversation, dialogue, between the different guarantors that were offered up and rejected, finally the guarantor that was accepted, Benenu Orvim Aitanu, Our children will be our surety. Only then did Hashem agree to give the Torah to the Eden. Give me a share till 10 o'clock. The Torah is learned sometimes through Pshat, sometimes through Drush. Sometimes Drush, we learn out something from a Pasuk. Or we have a way of breaking up the words either whether it be an acronym or sometimes a gematria. So let's look at this Pasuk. Eila mitzvah ha-mishpatim that what that Hashem gave through Mesha, children of Israel, Be'arves. How did He give it to the children of Israel? Be'arves. That says Be'arves Mo'yav which refers to, of course, a place, name of a place. But let's break up these words. Arvais being Arevut. Guarantors, with surety. Who? Mayav. What's Mayav? By the fathers. Who did a father give as a guarantor? His child. Yarden. Yarden Yerechei. Yarden is the word Yad and Ner. The hand and the candle. So the Pasuk is saying Al Yad next to, through the offering of Ner. Children who are the candles of other fathers. Through that Arevus, the, children, the Jews merited to receive the children, the Torah. Which in turn, what will the Torah do for us now that we've received the Torah? It will bring us to the, ne- to the level of Yerechai. Yerechai is re- derived from the word Reach. Aroma. What's implied by this? The Torah was received thanks to our parents offering their candles, the children, as guarantors. And it will provide Yerechai, the spiritual aroma which will bring spiritual contentment. What's the opening posseg of Chumash Bamidbar? It says, Hashem spoke to Mesha, Bamidbar Sinai Ba'el Ma'id. In the tent of meeting, which was in the wilderness of Sinai. El Ma'id Sinai. So the wilderness of Sinai is especially mentioned. Why? Because the Pasha is always read, Shabbos before Shavuos. Which commemorates the giving of the Torah in the desert. And it's emphasized to remind us that Hashem consented to give the Torah. How? Through the guarantors, our children. And therefore, the closing and the opening Pasuk of Chumash Bamidbar is telling us how the Torah was guaranteed through our guarantors, the children, and the prop and the what we will the reward that we will reap from this.
Pashas Matis, Pashas Masai. According to the number of Pashas in the Torah, the 53 Pashas, if we would dare to count Matis and Masai as one, we wouldn't have 53. So therefore, each one needs to be its own entity. And therefore, each one needs to be expounded upon separately. Pashas Matis opens up. First of all, the reason it's called Matis, because the word Matis appears in the beginning of the Pasha, like many other Pashas, where the first of the few wo- first few words of the Pasha is the name of the Pasha. Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes of Bnei Israel. A tribe, we know, the tribes of Israel, Bnei Israel, were known as Shifte Israel or Matis Israel. There were two words used to describe a tribe of Israel. One was a Shevet and one was a Mate. They both refer to the wooden stick or a branch which denotes simply that all the Jews come from one tree and they're just branches from that given tree. What does this expound? How does this tell us Beruchnis? The tree represents the common divine source that each and every neshama receives nurtured, is nurtured from. So now we know a difference since the tree is what we rely on and the tree is the way we are raised the way we are supported spiritually now we see a difference between Mata and Shevet a Shevet would be a freshly cut branch or if it's even still attached to the tree and still moist and pliable it would consider a Shevet however a Mata Means a firm staff. Kachas hamate. Moshe Rabbeinu was told, take his mate, the staff, and hit the sea, hit the wood, hit the this, hit the ends. All the makas brought about from the mate, the mate that turned into a serpent. This is hard, hardened staff, firm staff. It was also once a branch, waving in the wind, moist soft but because now it's lost all that it's become hardened and tough so Mata and Shevet allude to the two different periods of time and phases that the godly soul experiences in his relationship with the Eivishter or his relationship with his source of divinity Shevet refers to the neshama whose connection is fresh and obvious. It's evident that this person is connected to God. 
And that would, of course, describe the Jews in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, in the time of the Holy Temple, where the Jews all were flourishing. And they constantly sense godliness. Or the Shevet even would refer to the soul prior to coming down, prior to his descent into this lowly world and clothed in a physical body. On the other hand, the dry mate, that dry staff, the hardened staff, it refers to the soul while it's in a human body, but you can't really tell that it's connected to a divine source. And this is particularly so, unfortunately, since the destruction of the Holy Temple of Besamikdash. As a result of which, we become sapped of our spiritual sensitivities. Yet, the term mate, or matois, as the Pasha traditionally is called, also expresses the benefit and the purpose of the spiritual dryness that it achieves. Because we look at the Jewish nation and they are still firmly following and doing God's will with an unbreakable resolve to observe the Tehra Mitzvah. And many different circumstances have presented themselves where one would actually give credence to the Jew that says, Ah, ah, no more. I'm out, ski. But, in that very time, the Jews persevere. And there's an unyielding determination to simply obey God's will. And like a firm staff that does not bend, the Jew does not bend from his resolve. And although it sounds like a flaw, the fact that it no longer has its moisture, it's no longer connected to its source, we see though that not only is it not a flaw, it becomes a plus. Interestingly, the conversation that goes down now, Moshe speaks to the Rashi Hamates about, I think they're going to talk about laws here that are referring to the entire nation, how they have to lead the nation, how they have to do. No. Ishki the nether, the achodvore, man makes a vow, should not profane his word. He should do what he says. Le'yachel devorei. Not go back on his word, not to profane the word. Very interesting word of using, word, form of using words. Yachel comes from a word, the same word as yechalel.
And it comes actually to translation being profane. One should not treat his words as being mundane. Which tells us that the laws of vows are more than just an obligation to stand by. It's a recognition of the inherent sanctity in your words. And therefore, one needs to honor it. Dvorov, Leyachel Dvoroi, or Dvorov, his words. Used by Rashi in the phrase, one shall not treat his words as mundane. Dvarov also could mean matters, his things, his matters, the way he does things. Which would say one should not treat his matters as mundane. And this also teaches us the same lesson. The sanctity of the Teda attributes to our vows and illustrates the potential found in the personal matters. And all these things, all these matters need to be infused with, heart, with godliness and holiness. And the fact that the Teda ascribes this to our ordinary words, it reminds us capacity of holiness in even the most innate aspects of our lives and how we have a personal duty to reveal the Kedusha in each thing what's a promise? what's a vow? I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z Are there not enough restrictions in the Teda that one needs to make a vow to abstain or not to abstain? The Mishnah tells us that a vow Safeguard for restraint. Mishnah Pirkeyavis, he can score at home, pay the Gimel Mishnah Yud Gimel. But by prohibiting yourself through a vow from indulging even in the te- what something the Torah allows, what's permissible. You're doing what's called Kaddish Atzmucha B'Mutalach. Again, if you're keeping score at home, Yumari Yavam is Chof Amaralev. 20, side 8. The Rambam conversely writes about vows. He doesn't take them so simply.
The Ramam writes, the Chachamim directed a person to abstain only from those things that the Torah denies him, and not forbid himself from partaking permitted things by taking vows and oaths. Rhetorically, they asked, is that which the Torah prohibited not sufficient for you? They die like I said before. You need to add more. So what's the correct path? Should we make a shvua, a vow, to abstain from something physical indulgence? Or should we not prohibit ourselves from permissible pleasures? Things that the Torah allows us to do, not to prohibit ourselves. Chassidus explains... The correct path depends on who you are. What level of spirituality you have. Kohelis describes the two possible states of the man. God made man upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So the upright man, knows how God made him, talks about the tzaddik, the righteous person, who doesn't look for worldly desires. And therefore, to him, the Sechachavim tell, the sages tell us, Is it not enough, really, the enough prohibitions that the gives us, that you are taking upon yourself yet another prohibition? On the contrary, he needs to endeavor to utilize the service of God with as many aspects of the material world as possible, and therefore elevating them to a higher purpose. On the other hand, the Apostle continues and says, He was gone in search of many schemes. This refers to a person who seeks personal enjoyment. He likes the good life in the world. And subservience to God's will is not always his one and only desire. For such a person, the delights of the material world are not opportunities for elevation, Enjoying them will only make him more self-indulgent. The tailor therefore encourages him to eliminate the risk of further decline by taking shuas, by making a vow to safeguard his restraint. Let's move on a little bit to Pasha's Masai. Although there are many other things in Pasha's mouth is to talk about. Just a Arabalma. It's my father of Sean's birthday this week, so we took out a set the a set of that I bought him for his last birthday when he was in this world. Unfortunately I didn't get much use of it. 
So I took it out. It's on the Chumash and Parshas. Just to learn something from it. And the question asked there is what is the king Godel passing away have to do listen to this with the Ari Miklot person in Ari Miklot in the city of refugees needs to stay there until the passing of the king Godel what does the one have to do with the other you ever think of that? You knew all your life that the Kengadl has to die. And you knew all your life that the Kengadl's mother comes to the Arimiklat and makes people very happy and comfortable there, feeds them with this, all the different delicacies so they shouldn't want to pray that the son should die. But what does one have to do with the other? Givaldi Kavarta I saw this week. The Kengadl was the dual and end all that prayed for everybody's well being. He prayed that nothing like this should ever happen. And yet, God saw to it that his life comes to an end. He's taken away from this world. He passes away. Says the message now to the girl Adam. The girl Adam is the relative that is chasing this person that killed his relative B'Shegig, and he, this person has to hide in the city of refuge, in the Miklat, says the message from the King Godel's passing that everyone has his day. Even the King Godel, who's the holiest person who went into Kedish Kedoshim, and did so much for Klai Yisrael, and prayed so much for Klai Yisrael, even he too passes away. <laughs> So therefore the passing of that relative of this person is also because his number came. So it's time to forgive. Avad, the Tater Kval. You heard it once? I saw it the first time. So I'm not as good as you, I guess. You said it once. <laughs> no, the first time I saw it. I'm hearing it again. Tzav is b'nei Yisrael Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Command the Jews, say to them, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, this is the land that will fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan according to its borders. Um, we got a lot of problems with this. Let's first start with the beginning of the parasha. Elam Masay b'nei Yisrael sheyatzim mitzrayim makes no sense. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who left the land of Egypt. This we've spoken about many, many times, and we told the same joke over and over about the rabbit in the hole. So, if you want to know what it's all about, you go back and listen to the archives. Masay b'nei Yisrael, these are the journeys in plural that the Jews left Egypt with. Once the Jews left the borders of Egypt, they were no longer in Egypt. They did not need more than one journey to leave Egypt. So what is all the journeys plural 
have to do with leaving, leaving Egypt. And the Pasha goes on to tell us all the journeys that were taken they went from this place to this place to this place to this place throughout the years in the desert. Till they arrive in the promised land. Rashi quotes the Medrash. Rashi compares what the Torah is saying here to a Melech, a king, whose son, Rahman al-Hussan, was very ill. His son was very, very sick. His prince. And there were no doctors in the kingdom of the king. Hence, the only solution was to take a journey. And it was a long, arduous journey. And they traveled from town to town. Although it was in the princely carriage drawn by the horses of the king, nonetheless, the journey was very, very long. And the son was brought there, and he healed him. The doctors took care of him. Now they have to go home. As they went home, they went on the same route, because that's what the GPS gave them. Same thing, just going the other way. Like the traffic reporter in the morning says, I don't have to give you traffic reports and tell you what broke down, what this, what gents. I'll just tell you, the highway is packed because everyone left at the same time. Come back 5 o'clock and I'll tell you the same thing but going the other way. So here the, the route that they took to go to the doctor was coming back the other way. So what happened? The father says to the son, he recounts to him, all the stages of the journey, says Rashi. And he says to him, this is where we slept, here we were cold, here your head ached. He tells him all the things that happened when they went, how bad these places were for them, how painful they were, and now Baruch Hashem that he is healed, now how much they can enjoy, how much they can pass through these very same places. In the same vein, Moshe Rabbeinu now recounts to the Jews, to the Israel, the journeys and struggles of the 40 years of the desert. Chassidus tells us that the journey of the Jews in the desert is the same as the Jewish people in exile. Which is the desert of the nations. What's the mission? The mission simply is to elevate the spirituality excuse me spirituality which is barren and prepare it for the coming of Mashiach. So these journeys, therefore, force the godly soul to descend from their lofty source on high and has to face conditions and circumstances like a desert 
What's the desert look like to you? It's uninhabited. There's nothing there. And the same thing is this world. It seems uninhabited by godliness. Come on, other son. And just as the king and his son's travels were faced with different trials and tribulations on the way down, but on the renewed health and healing, they look totally different. And therefore, the king told the son, we went through this terrible, arduous trip, this journey, in order for you to become better, and you are now better, look at the fruits that you are reaping from this journey, says the Tera to us now the same thing. These are the fruits that we are going to reap, when Mashiach will come, for the journey that we are now taking through exile. Not only the Jew benefits, when the world is turned into the house of God, But the neshama as well. Because the neshama now can reach its highest spiritual potential. Nevertheless, until you get there, you also have to drink something. And therefore, until the benefit is realized, all these hindrances and these setbacks are sources of pain and grievance for the soul. Like Rashi says, here we were cold, here your head hurt, etc. But upon their return, however, says the Medrash, it implies that the king and his son revisit these landmarks. And the journey of the godly soul does the same. As it travels through the desert of nations, the return trip referring to the time of Mashiach, at which time we'll revisit and we'll go up, we'll ascend every step of our journey throughout the exile. When Mashiach comes, not only will we enjoy the ultimate benefit that was necessary in this exile, we'll realize how the very descents and suffering that the soul experienced in this exile were truly part of the climb to the highest level. And therefore, Mas Eben Yisrael. Therefore, yes, Mitzrayim represents Mitzorah Megvulim, the boundaries, the restraints, and the restrictions that a Jew faces here in Golis in exile. At each and every step one takes is another step out of those restrictions. And thereby being Mas A Mayaritz Mitzrayim, the many journeys that one needs to take as he leaves the void land, the devoid of holiness, the devoid of spirituality, the desert, the concept of Mitzrayim. And he travels and forges ahead on a constant basis, going from level to level to level until he achieves the ultimate and the highest level, the level of Mashiach Tzidkenu, may it be speedily in our days. So we spoke before that the commandment to the Jews say to them, when they arrive in Canaan, 
and the land will be divided up. It says, the Pasuk says, It will fall in you as inheritance. Rashi says, Moshe told B'nai Yisrael the exact boundaries of the land of Israel. Why? For religious purposes. Many mitzvahs applied to the land of Israel and not outside of it. And therefore it was necessary to chart the outer limits of its boundaries from all the sides. And to inform you, these mitzvahs apply here, these mitzvahs don't apply here. There's an interesting thing that just came up now. After Shemitah, anything that's used as Kedusha Shviyas and can't be wasted. You know, one that lives in that cell, the one that even goes to visit that cell has to be aware of these things. Can't even throw out the peels of uh, fruit or vegetable that you use. If you use wine from Kedusha Shviyas, and some of it spills over the cup onto your plate, you have to lick the plate. Mm-hmm. That wine also is to be used. The bracha has to be made on it. So there is one winery that finds itself on the border, right outside the actual places where Bikurim have to be brought. And therefore they say that the wine that they make there is not Shaykh to Shemitah. Uh-huh. Something like that. I don't know where it is. And um, they have a whole winery. High-end wine. But it doesn't say on the bottle. It says kosher. Has supervision. It doesn't say it's kedusha shviyas. And the reason they say is because these were out of the boundary. These vineyards are not in the boundaries. Question here, where does Rashi know this from? How does Rashi know the measure outlined the borders? Okay, we know he outlined the borders. How does Rashi know that it only it was maybe it was only just to tell them where they have to go? Exactly what God intended for them to conquer. Because the Pasuk says Ashatipahem. From the words Ashatipahem that will fall to you. as an inheritance. So the outline of the borders that God intended for B'nai Yisrael could have just been said simple. Inheritance of the land of Canaan according to his borders. Why did I have to mention the land that will fall to you? So these additional words emphasize that the conquest of the land will not be the product of warfare, of the battle that you're going to take. Rather, the land of Israel will literally fall to you. 
it will come to you practically. It will be delivered into your hands. As, like no effort, with no effort on their part. And that's why the emphasis we see is indicated that the borders are stated for here for the reasons related to which parts of the land God will miraculously deliver. <coughs> why is God miraculously delivering this land? So that mitzvahs can be completed here. Since God is doing this for us and not making us go to battle and God forbid have any casualties or wounded, etc. But rather just making it fall into our hands, we need to reciprocate and do the mitzvahs in this land. Therefore, Rashi explains, the land of Israel's borders were chartered here. So many mitzvahs applied to the land of Israel. Excuse me, not outside of it. To inform us, to tell us, those mitzvahs apply anywhere within these borders. There were six Aremiklat. There were six cities of refuge. Sheish Aremiklat Tiyanalachem. That's three were outside at itself, three inside at itself. And it says in the time of Sheikh to be another three. And on this itself, we can spend hours discussing. In the time of Mashiach, people are not going to die. Why would we need another three Aremiklat? The Sefer HaChinuch, though, does something very interesting here. He tells us that what is this compared to the Sheish Aremiklat? He enumerates another thing that's six. Six obligatory mitzvahs that are constantly obligatory. And for not a single moment may a person renege on them. One, to believe in God. One, not to believe in any power other than Him. The third, to acknowledge God's oneness. A fourth, to love Him. A fifth, to fear Him. And the fifth, not to stray after the thoughts of your hearts and the sight of your eyes. And the Sefer HaChinuch says that this is, Lord, started, this is derived from the verse, six cities of refuge shall serve, shall serve you. And like all other aspects of the Teda, this memory technique has a little bit of extra twist to it. The six cities of refuge provide protection, as we said before, somebody who accidentally caused someone's death. As long as he's within the city of refuge, he is safe from people that are looking to avenge the Gael Adam, avenge the deceased's blood. Let us understand, of course, that the person that killed somebody by accident is also not such a simple thing. First of all, there needs to be witnesses. Witnesses that saw this negligence, saw this take place. 
What happens though if out of someone's negligence they accidentally kill somebody? Nobody's there to see it. The same question is asked. What happens if somebody purposely kills somebody? And there's no witnesses to warn him and to see it. Says the Tata, since God runs a true world, God puts these two people together again. He puts the one that killed by accident on top of a shaky ladder in a Shusarabim the public domain, where people are telling him, you got to be careful on this ladder, you're going to fall off and kill somebody. And he puts the person they killed on, by, on purpose and was not caught, was not witnessed underneath that ladder, to walk near that ladder. And as he gets there, the person falls off the ladder and kills him. Hence, the person being killed was Chayiv Misa. The person that did it by accident is Chayiv to go to Arim Since it was in Shusarabim, everyone saw it, and therefore now he has to go. What's a Gail Adam? The Gail Adam, the person that comes to take revenge, the avenger is really a metaphor for the Yitzhahara. If you keep your score at home, the Gemara Babasa, Tezayin Amaralif, 16 side A. Gemara teaches us the Yitzhahara, our evil inclination, incites us to sin, and the Malachamav is the angel of death that avenges the sin, are one and the same. And therefore it follows, protection provided by the city of refuge is metaphorically a mean of protecting ourselves from the Sahara. So all these mitzvahs that we perform provide us a spiritual enrichment that we need to grapple with the Sahara. But most mitzvahs only have its time and its place to eat matzah, to sit in the sukkah, to shake the lulav. They all have that one particular time, the mitzvah of milah, the mitzvah of pidyan ben, the mitzvah of kedushin. They have their time when they're obligated. <coughs> so the protection, protection they provide is limited. Yetzirah's effort to attempt to tempt a person is not limited. He doesn't have a specific time or place. He's constant on the run. Non-stop. So in order to assist us with this struggle, God gave us the six mitzvahs that we need to observe constantly. And by observing these mitzvahs, which is the Ari Miklot, the six cities of refuge. They give us 24 hour shelter from the Sahara, from the Malachamovis, who is on a constant barrage, a constant attack.
This Friday is the outset of Aaron Akayin, Shchedish of the only Yardzeit mentioned in the Teda. Chedish, this month, Echad Chedish, the only Yardzeit mentioned in the Teda is the passing of Aaron Akayin. And it's a day that one should be very, very careful one should be particularly careful in the midst of Abbas Israel particularly devoted to Avis Yisrael, to helping and looking after one another. Avis Chinam, love of a fellow Jew for literally no reason. Just the fact that he's a fellow Jew. And we should see to increase in mitzvahs, increase in teda. It's a very, very special day. It's a Shkedish. It's Arab Shabbos Kedish. And it will only be right that we see to it that we devote as much time as we can to help a fellow Jew. Um, it marks the beginning, as we said, of the nine days. The first problem we come up with is, of course, Matzah Shabbos Kedish. Since in the nine days one may not drink wine, On Shabbos, Kedish itself is not a problem to make Kiddush on wine. Some people do have that problem. They like to make it on Mashke. It's like a problem for them too. Havdola cannot be made on wine. Havdola can only be made on wine. So what do we do? What's done is We need to prepare a child that is not does not know how to be sad about the destruction of the temple. And the person that makes the Abdullah, of course, has to be an adult to be made to everybody. And the child should drink from the wine. And therefore, being that he would be allowed to. Um, if there are no children at home, another solution is to make it on beer. Havdallah, because Havdallah is made on the Hamara de Medina, a popular drink of the, of the country. So it would be allowed to be made on beer, Havdallah. Although we have a Goffin, of course, it would be a Shahako. 
That's another solution to Havdalah. If you don't like beer, you cannot take the smell of beer, the taste of beer. Yes, I'm talking about myself. Then if you have nobody else, you drink you drink your wine. And if you can get somebody else to make on beer, Ashrecha. We do not eat meat during the nine days, except for Shabbos, of course. Showers. According to Shachanar, one should not shower in the nine days. However, the modern day rabbinical decisions, of course, who are more understanding to the needs of the person, the people, who can obviously not tolerate, since this generation is really relevant, called level of istinus. And they cannot tolerate the heat, the heat and the perspiration, etc. Therefore, they allowed showers. Some allowed cold showers. Some allowed showers without shampoo. Don't overdo it. Don't indulge in the shower. A quick shower, just a quick wash. There are many, many different opinions of what different Rabbanim allow. One should, of course, like every other thing and every other halacha, confront a local rav and find out what the rav holds, what they should be doing. Um, generally, people that go to the mikvah on a daily basis, all year round, can obviously continue going now as well. Um, The showers usually in the mikvahs are working. There are some tkufas, some mikvahs I'm sure there won't be, but generally they do. And for all of the laws on the nine days, you can consult your local rabbi. Main thing is, may we merit that these days we be turned over to simcha and joy and happiness, and that we find ourselves in Yerushalayim and not have to mourn the destruction of the temple, but rather celebrate the reconstruction of the temple. And in Yerushalayim Merakedish, this very Shabbos, with Mashiach and Canaan, the Sidrena Bereshenu, Shabbat Shalom to all.